Ne saurait-on trouver un messager en France qui s'en voudrait aller au jardin de plaisance, dira Robert, Robert, le beau Robert, que la brunette se mourrait. Je suis Robert, Robert, le beau Robert. Hello and welcome to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In this episode, I'll be looking at the the final 100 pages or so of the pioneers of France in the New World. This is the first part of the first volume of Francis Parkman's uh, massive history of France in the New World called France and England in North America. And we're coming to the end of the very, very first volume. Um, for most of these volumes, there's there's seven of them. We'll, we'll spend about three episodes on, but I think there's two that will take a little bit more work. Um, but the first four are all fairly short, quick reads. They're all about 300 pages or so, and we can get through them in, in, in three episodes. Um, not a whole lot to say about this because he kind of lays out his theme so consistently, and then it... The, you know, in these books, and his thesis is fairly clear. Uh, but, you know, interesting stories, as always, I think that's one of the really nice things about Francis Parkman is he does such a good job at narrative history, um, and, and these works really stand up more as literature than as history, I think. Um, so where we left off was, uh, well, in the last episode, we, f we started into this, the part of the book where he looks at the life of Samuel de Champlain um, and his great achievement. He's really the founder of, of, New, of New France, particularly in Canada. Um, of course, the French had other aspects of their empire. Parkman's not that interested in them. He had a little section on Florida. He doesn't talk at all about Saint-Domingue, um, except maybe just a little bit here and there. Um, but he hasn't yet, obviously. I don't think the French started there until much later. Uh, but Samuel de, Samuel de Chaplain, of course, uh, is responsible for the founding of Quebec um, and and some of the associates, some of the people around him were responsible for the founding of the early settlement at Acadia. And that is where we sort of left off. Um, and it's in chapter five of the second half of volume one. Uh, this this book has this one volume has two separate two parts, the first part about Florida, the second part about uh, Champlain. Um, we saw the introduction of the Jesuits into the the story, and the and the support the Jesuits were getting from the the court, and then the arrival of of Biard uh, to to New, New France, and it, you know and of course the Jesuits are going to have a very very long mission, a mission that's going to go on. Until, until the 1750s, 1740, till about seven, or sorry, seven, 16, until about 1650, the Jesuits are going to have a very concentrated mission among the Huron, among the, some of the Algonquins as well in Canada with this effort to try to convert them. And, but the Jesuits really got their start, the French Jesuits got their start in America in, in Acadia. Right, and chapter six, where I'm going to pick up here, tells that story. Um, and Parkman's really aware of the global status, the global role, the global contribution of the Jesuits to history, writing 
Few were those regions to the known world to which the potent brotherhood had not stretched the vast network of its influence. Jesuits had disputed in theology with the bonzes of Japan and taught astronomy to the mandarins of China and wrought prodigies of sudden conversion among those followers of Brahman, preached the papal supremacy to Abyssinian schismatics, carried the cross among the savages of Kafria, wrought reputed miracles in Brazil, and gathered the tribes of Paraguay beneath their paternal sway. And now, with the aid of the Virgin and her votary at court, they would build another empire among the tribes of New France. The omens were sinister at the outset, and the outset was improper. Propitious. The society was destined to read few laurels from the brief apostleship of Biard and Massey. Yeah, so there's the two. Biard was the, one of the guy's names, and the other was was Massey. Um, so yeah, the, in fact, the whole French colony in Acadia was short-lived. It would be it had to be rebooted some point later, where it would last for about a century until the English finally um, exiled them from the from the region, that part of of. And then eventually, it goes back to New France, too. After that, it must, because it's part of Canada. Yeah, I'll get that history all straight in my head as we as we read through it in this account. So we see in Parkman's narrative of the New World this, this kind of a repeated theme that comes up a lot, that you have the, the cross, kind of the Pope, the Jesuit order, the, 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 the monastic orders, kind of as one, one weapon of New France, and the other being kind of the, the monarchy, the aristocracy, the soldier, represented by the soldier, right? And his bigger argument is that these are, this is a different kind of institutional foundation of empire than what the British would pursue in, in their colonies, right? And so whenever he talks about the Jesuits, he always sees them as sort of a hand in hand, but it's a separate hand because you may have conflicts between the political powers and the Jesuits, you know, but they're both kind of on the same general mission of hierarchy. They're both in that game, the hierarchy game, it seems. And and I don't know if that's totally fair, but that's what Parkman argues here. Um, and they do in times get into politics. For instance, the Jesuits in Acadia seem to want to get rid of Pontecourt, who is the the head of the, the colony. Now, what happens to Acadia? Well, it's for, for Parkman, it's fascinating because... It's kind of a, almost a prelude to the epic conflict that's going to take place over the next century and a half, you know, and that's between England and between the English colonies and New France. And essentially the, the Virginians uh, burned down Acadia in 1613. Um, and he even writes to the, about this. In the obscure stroke of lawless violence began the strife of France and England, Protestantism and Rome, for which a century and a half shook the struggling communities of North America and closed at last in the memorable triumphs on the plain of Abraham, referring directly to the siege of, of Quebec in, in 1760. All right, and then for pretty much the rest of the book, another the next 90 pages or so, um, Parkman is going to focus on the character of, of Samuel de Champlain. Um, and his basic f depiction of him is that someone who, who, who was adequate, he, effective at establishing institutions and colonies, but someone who was more at home in the frontier or fighting with the Indians and, and kind of adventuring. So he, he's presented here very much as an adventurer who, who was bored or found tedious the work of colony building, but nevertheless was successful in doing that, uh, eventually founding Quebec. But Parkman is a little bit more interested in some of his, his exploits. 
the first big conflict that Champlain has is with the, the, the Iroquois, the Five Nations of the Iroquois. In 1610, a little a battle was fought between the, the Iroquois and Champlain. Um, and that's all described here. It's in Chapter 11, actually, called War, Trade, and Discovery, which uh, discusses this, this, uh, this struggle between Champlain and the Iroquois. Champlain had some help from some other Indian tribes who had long-standing grievances with the Iroquois. And, and this battle does two important things. One is it really did stop Iroquois aggression against New France for a good while and basically ended the Mohawk threat during those early years of the founding of Quebec. And the second thing it did is it established a, an alliance with the, with the Huron which, of course, is going to be the major theme of the second volume of this of this work, uh, the Jesuits, which is about the, which is about the Jesuit missions among the, the Wyandot, the Huron. Um, but Parkman can never avoid seeing uh, Champlain as someone who's always been kind of a little bit, whenever he was cooped up, he got a little bit anxious about it. Uh, quote, in Champlain alone was the life of New France. By instinct and temperament, he was more impelled to the adventurous toils of exploration than to the duller task of building colonies. The profits of trade had value in his eyes only as a means to the, these ends. And settlements were important chiefly as a base of discovery. Two great objects eclipsed all others, to find the route to the Indies and bring the heathen tribes into the embrace of the church. Since while he cared little for the bo their bodies, his solicitude for their souls no new bond, no, no new bounds. Um, so, um, but nevertheless, he does, of course, eventually, uh, in the midst of these explorations, he goes on, founds, uh, Quebec. He fights another war against the Iroquois in 1615 and 1616. It's in a chapter called the Great War Party. Um, so the, the first war, the one in 1610 was fought just against the Mohawks and it really stopped them, but he fought another broader war against the Iroquois in 1615 again drawing on a lot of his indian allies um discovers lake huron he does all these kinds of all this kind of adventuring so he's really a dynamic uh figure just in kind of the heroic age of exploration and that, that's really how parkman um describes him here um now as for the other side of the story uh, once you read the stuff about the exploration, you're left with this other side of the story, and that is his kind of position as someone who's responsible for the care and the development and of, of a colony, of a, of a settlement, right? And he's doing this at a time in which things are changing pretty dramatically in France, um, shifting towards absolutism. And the character of, of Richelieu begins to play a major role. And of course, absolutism, the you know, the reigns of Louis Thirteenth and Louis XIV, uh, the power of Richelieu, this uh, centralization of power and into the hands of the king is going to be so key in, in much of this story, um, really the whole story that Parkman wants to tell, but especially in the first three or four volumes that, you know, those larger than life personalities of, of Louis Thirteenth, Louis Fourteenth, and Richelieu are, are going to drive the destiny of New France in ways that that the English colonies wouldn't have that those same kind of personalities leading them. Um, and for 
Parkman, is, it's, it's actually kind of a negative force for them. It, it, it prevents them from developing naturally and, and taking full advantages of the achievements and personalities of people like, of like Champlain. Uh, quote, uh, while infant Canada was thus struggling into a half-stifled being, the foundation of a commonwealth destined to marvelous vigor and development had been laid at the Rock of Plymouth. In their character, as in their destiny, the rivals were widely different. Yet at their onset, New England was unfaithful to the principle of freedom. New England Protestantism appealed to liberty, then closed the door against her. For all Protestantism is an appeal from priestly authority to the right of private judgment. And the New England Puritan, after claiming this right for himself, denied it to those who differed from him. So there's some interesting nuance here. I mean, at least he realizes the kind of that the argument that you know the Puritans were for religious freedom is kind of a joke is, is kind of ridiculous. Um, but moving on, uh, with New France it was otherwise. She was consistent to the root to the last root stem and branch. She was nursle, the nursling of authority. Deadly absolutism blighted her early and her later growth. Friar and Jesuit, a vendator and a Richelieu shaped her destiny. All that conflicted against advancing liberty, the centralized powers of the crown and the tiara, the ultramonte in religion and despotic in policy, found their fullest expression and most fateful exercise. Her records shine with glorious deeds and self-devotion of heroes and martyrs, and the result of all is disorder, imbecility, and ruin. The great cha champion of absolutism, Richelieu, was now supreme in France. And that, of course, will shape the founding of these colonies and their purpose by you know whether it's through economic monopoly uh, the power of the jesuits the power of the the clergy in, in new france or just the or even the people that decide to go right uh, there's one passing mentioned somewhere in this these early volumes about you know the focus on trade stifled settlement because fur traders didn't want too many settlers because that would have you know they didn't need them and didn't really want them um, so we're getting towards the end of this volume. So yeah, this will be a, a really super short episode, but, um, be that as it may, I'll, I'll say what I have to say about these works. Um, in 19, or in 1628, 1629, there's yet another, the English destroy yet another colony that now this one is handed back over to France in 1632, but there was a war. Basically, there's a war between England and France. And of course, as in all of these conflicts, it springs over into the colonies and affects them greatly. In this case, the, the English actually do seize Quebec, hold it. And then when the peace treaty is finally signed, it, it's given back to France in 1632. Um, but that's, it's just a little interregnum in French, French Quebec, but uh, one that Parkman tells the story of in a, in a narrative fashion. And so the final achievement of, of Champlain is in 1633, he's sent back to, to Quebec and he uh, begins the rebuilding of, of Quebec and he dies in 16, 1635, apparently of a stroke. And that's the end of his, at the end of his story. But boy, does he have quite a life. And, and I think Parkman does a pretty good job of intertwining his story with the story of Quebec and Acadia and the Jesuits in France to show the establishment of, of a certain type of, of centralized uh, monarchical aristocratic system in, in France. But on top of that is these great adventures with the interactions with the Indians and the, the the larger life personalities. Um, yeah, that's the thing I really like reading about Parkman is just how he 
he he brings these people to life. And there's so many in this first volume. I mean, chapter or volume one of France and England in, in North America, it's just a wash with personalities. Volume two on the Jesuits, you you still have a lot of interesting figures, but there's a handful of them. It's a smaller kind of cast. Uh, it's it's just a handful of like big name Jesuits who dominate that that story. But it it has that same it it has that same kind of feeling of being a, a interaction of, of kind of adventure stories, uh, narrative history, you know, memorable personalities alongside some important kind of thematic history behind it. So sorry, I don't have too much more to say about the the third part of this, but I think I said enough about the first volume of, of this book. Um, I really like this one. I think the Huguenot stuff is great. Um, the some of the Champlain stuff is really nice as well. Um, the Acadia stuff I didn't know that much about or I forgot. So that that was nice to read too. But And now we come to, though, in the next episode, I'll be beginning a three-part series of what I, what I think is my favorite book in this series. And that's The Jesuits in North America in the 17th century. The story of, of these Jesuits who, who with kind of almost unbelievable religious zeal tried to bring Catholicism to the to the Huron and, and some Algonquin people and in doing so you know meet their death a pretty gruesome death and the way they meet that death is pretty amazing and pretty heroic and I think that story is attractive to a lot of people for, for maybe similar reasons it's um, just a great story of failure but it's uh, it's a pretty epic failure so anyways, that's going to be it for now. Um, I will see you next time when I start The Jesuits in, in North America in the 17th century by Francis Parkman. Um, as always, if you have any thoughts or comments, please leave them below or send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. Um, and I'll soon see you next time. La brunette guérissait Et quand Robert y fut au milieu de la chambre Il avait oublié toutes ses contenances Il le fit trois tours, trois tours autour du lit